Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. The series that's called Who We Are, and this series that we've been in for the last several weeks has been talking about really some foundational elements of church. What is the church? Who is the head of the church? What's the purpose of the church? What's the mission of the church? Those are actually two separate things, but they're very similarly overlapped. We've been talking about these different things, and um, it's really interesting because this week, um, as I was talking to Pastor Nate about what was going to be shared and, and what we were planning on teaching, um, I was getting into it, and I was, I was looking into kind of what we had thought was going to be the right thing, and I was praying, and the Lord just kind of spoke to me and was like, we're heading in the wrong direction. So I called Pastor Nate out of the blue and was like, hey, I think we maybe need to go a different direction. So we talked about it together and we came to what the Lord had for us. So what we're going to be talking about is prayer. That's what we're going to be talking about this week, the church and prayer. And it's a really interesting thing. It's because the church and prayer go hand in hand. Um, prayer is super important, and just to define it, this is going to be important for us going forward, to define what prayer actually is. It's communication with God and connection with God. That's what prayer is. If you look into different dictionaries and stuff, they'll give you lots of longer answers, but it always boils down to really that. Connection with God, communication with God. That's what it is. And what's cool about prayer is that it's unique to God's people. While other cultures and other religions may pray, they're not praying to our God. Um, Prayer is unique to God's people. Uh, The the church or Jesus's assembly, like we talked about a few weeks ago, the church should be a people who prays. It makes no sense for us not to be in prayer. If we're saying we're Jesus's people and we're connected with God, we're, we're seeking to communicate with God, then how can we not be a people who prays? So, and, and what's interesting about that is that that marks the church as being very different from the world. The people of the world aren't going to care about connecting and communicating with God. It's the last thing in their mind. So that marker of prayer should really be defined on the church, on the people of the church. We should be a people who pray. We should be a people of prayer. And that's actually the title of the message today, people of prayer. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. That's literally a command to pray constantly. And I think it's really interesting because not only is it a command to pray constantly, but then it goes on right after that to say that this is the will of God in Christ for us. So it's God's will, it's Jesus's will for us that we would be constantly praying. So that's important because like we talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus is the head of the church. And if Jesus, if it's his will that we be praying constantly, then we should take that serious. So it's no surprise that if Jesus desires that, it's not, it shouldn't shock us that Jesus talks a lot about prayer and he teaches on, on prayer, gives specific lessons. And then also he models that he's constantly showing us what it looks like to be in prayer constantly. You see it all throughout the New Testament. It's, it's all over. Jesus was constantly doing this because prayer was a big deal to him. So it should also be a big deal to us. And what I did this week, um, what I spent a lot of my time doing is I looked through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I looked 
and really studied through them. And I looked at everywhere that the word prayer or pray or praying was used. Every single spot where those words were used. And what was really interesting is I found 13 spots where Jesus specifically gives a lesson on prayer that's unique, a different lesson. 13 different things that Jesus teaches about prayer that's separate from one another. He talks about prayer a lot. He models prayer a lot, way more than 13 times. But there's 13 specific places, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus gives this lesson that is very important for us. So what I wanted to do today is I, w- I want to first set the expectation. Um, this is not going to be a normal message to how you're used to it. Um, typically, when, we'll, when we teach, we find a, a text. We'll either teach through a book or if there's a topic, we, we try to go through that topic and we'll teach verse by verse through it and break it down and there'll be two or three points that highlight the, the, the things going on there. This week's going to be a little different. I need to set this expectation up front or none of this is going to make sense. What we're going to be doing is we're going to look through all 13 places where Jesus gives these specific lessons. And the goal of this, the point of looking at all 13 of these things is not for me to necessarily go through and and teach them super in depth or to break them down. We are going to break them down a little bit and, and make some sense of them. But really the point of this is for us to get a perspective on what Jesus said prayer is actually supposed to be. Because I think what you're going to find is it's actually kind of shocking what Jesus says we should be doing in prayer and what he doesn't even mention as things that we should be doing in prayer. And then it's also very interesting that when he talks about prayer, the way that he, he talks about it is it's more than just talking with God. And that's going to be emphasized. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through these 13 different lessons that Jesus gave. And what I want to do is really just do this for the, pe- per, for the point of perspective so that you can have the wholeness of what Jesus says. And then after services today, you can take that and you can dig into that yourself. Because I know for me, just doing this on my own and looking at these things and having it all on a page right in front of my face, it caused me to really reflect and be like, huh, I'm not doing all these things. And also, Prayer is a lot deeper and a lot more all-encompassing than I thought. So that's the point of this. So I don't want you to think as we're going through this, 13 things is a lot to cover. So don't feel like as we're going through it that you got to be like, I got to get every detail. Just really get the main thing. I'm gonna, we're going to number them off. They're going to be numbered 1 through 13. Make sure you just get what's written and hopefully where we're reading from, because we're going to read what Jesus says on every single one, and then I'll give the summary and explain a little bit as we go. So that's kind of the heart and the hope. So again, yes. Uh, yes. If you guys go to the uh, blue, not blue letter, that's the app I typically use, um, the Version Bible app, um, if you go there, there's a uh, tab you can click to in the events slot. And you can find Awaken, click on that, and then all the verses we're going to read are going to be there. And then also all of those points will be found there too. And then we'll have them on screens as well if you need that. Um, So thank you for mentioning that. So let's go ahead and get ready to go into this. Remember, we're only scratching the surface. Start off with the first area. We're going to be going chronologically too, so we're not going to be jumping all over the place. This is going to, first one we're going to read is Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44. It says, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is where we're going to pause. First lesson, number one, pray for those who persecute you. I mean, that's exactly what it is, just what Jesus said. What's important to, to note about that? Persecution is specific, what persecution means. Persecution is specifically would be coming from those outside the church, people who don't belong to the assembly of Jesus, who also oppose the church, oppose the things of the church and what the church is seeking to do. That's what qualifies as persecution. And Jesus says that we are to not only love them, those people who are persecuting, who we would call our enemies, but we are to pray for them, pray for their, their hearts to change. We're supposed to be an active process of praying for their hearts to be different and for them to come to know Jesus themselves, to no longer oppose. So that's the, the first one. Moving on, these are going to be relatively quick as we go. You only have to go down a little bit. This is number two, Matthew chapter six, verse five. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. All right, this is our second thing, second lesson that Jesus teaches us on prayer. Don't pray with the purpose of being recognized by people. Don't pray with the purpose of being recognized by people. So little context to make a little bit of sense of this. Um, I want to be clear on things as we're going through as much as I can. When it's talking about these hypocrites who are loved to be seen in the synagogues. Back in the day, um, at the synagogues, which was very similar to like what we're doing right now, kind of like a, a, a church setting, they would select somebody who would come up at the beginning of their services and who would pray. And that was a good thing. Normally, that was a good thing. If you were chosen for that, that's like, hey, you're an honorable guy. But a lot of people began to take that as an opportunity to shine a light on themselves. And instead of that just being a, a moment to honor the Lord and to, to help lead with people, they started turning that into a moment to become a spectacle where they are the center of attention. And then likewise, when it talks about the street corners, like how the hypocrites go to the street corners and, and are praying there, there was three hours of prayer that they would typically pray on. And it was kind of crazy, but sometimes these people who are very self-righteous and wanted to be lifted up and, and a spotlight shine on them, what they would do is they would plan to be walking specifically right at when the hour of prayer would happen. They would find themselves, oh, just by chance, standing in the most populated area. And then to show how righteous they were and that they're devout, no matter where they are, they're going to pray. They would stand on these street corners and they would make these huge, just loud declarations to God. And they'd just be very flowery in their words about it. And the goal wasn't to really honor God. It was for them to have a spotlight. And they turned this thing of worship and prayer to God into just really a mockery. So that's what the lesson that Jesus is giving there. Moving on to our third one. It's just one verse lower. This is Matthew 6, 6. It says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, or that means hidden. And your father who sees what's hidden or what's secret will reward you. 
Our, th- our third one, third lesson that Jesus teaches here is pray in a legitimately personal way desiring to connect with God. Pray in a legitimately personal way desiring to connect with God. So this one, there's a lot going on and it's, it's really powerful. So when he's talking about this, this idea of in this, this direction of, hey, go lock yourself away, go shut the door behind you, be alone and pray to your father who is hidden or your father who, is, who, who sees you. What I learned from this and what's cool about this is it shows us that there is supposed to be an intimacy and a desire to be very personal with God. So when you go off and you're on your own and you're in a space by yourself, you're going to be sharing what's really going on inside of you. You're going to be willing to share very intimate details, the very small things that you're thinking about, whether huge, big problems or whether just tiny things that you like. And I have examples of this in my own life where all the time I love to talk to God about the things that seem meaningless to a lot of people. But the Lord loves to hear those things. When we're personal and we're intimate with him, you get to see God work in your life and interact and engage with you in a way that you might not ever have believed that he could. Um, So I want to encourage you guys in that. But the second thing that's shown here, and this one's really kind of important to take note of, this idea that Jesus is telling us by making sure that we're being personal in prayer, that go into a, a place that you're locked away on your own, separated from people, really is getting to the heart of something that is quite special for us to think about. And what that is, is that what you do when you are all alone says a lot about you. What you do, how you spend your time when no one sees, when you are all by yourself and no one else is involved, if you spend that time to be connecting with God and in prayer, that says a lot about what you really care about. If you don't, that also says a lot about what you really care about. So that's kind of a thing that should give us an indication of where we're at. And I know for me, um, this has caused a lot of growth in my life. Many years ago, as I started to really take prayer seriously, I know I found, for me, one of the first challenges that I had when I started to say, okay, I'm going to really pray on my own. One of the first like, elements of growth that happened in my prayer life was that I started to say, you know what, I'm going to pray out loud when I am all alone. Because I felt weird about that. I felt like it was like what a crazy person would do. So I was like, I don't want to do that. If I'm alone, I'm just only going to pray silently because this is weird. But then I really thought through it and the Lord stirred my heart and was like, well, I'm real. So why would you not talk to me out loud? And I began to do that. And that was the first wall to be broken down in my prayer life. And it's been a long line now of God showing me more and more and more. That was just the very first thing. So allow prayer to be personal and intimate. That's that lesson here. Moving on to our fourth, fourth lesson. This is Matthew 6, verse 7. It says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is our, our fourth lesson. Don't pray in expectation that your words determine quality. Don't pray in expectation that your words determine quality. So this one we're not going to spend a lot of time on. Just this is the overall heart. When you're praying to God, you're not writing a resume. It's not buzzwords. You don't need to have these fancy, flowery speech to get his attention. 
He doesn't care about that. You don't need to be repetitive and say the same thing over and over and over and over again to hopefully bug him into doing something so that he'll hear you. Um, it's important. First John 5.14 says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You don't need to worry about how you're saying stuff. So that's, that's that lesson. Don't pray in expectation that your words determine quality. Number five, um, this one's in verse nine, right, right after this. Keeps going. Um, we'll read verses nine through 13, though. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is very familiar for a lot of us. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. You've probably heard this before if you've been in church for a while. But here's the lesson if you boil this down. There's so much here. And again, all of these, we're barely scratching the surface. So if things stick out to you, be willing to go back and dig into it more. But if you boiled this down, made it very simplified, this is the lesson that Jesus is getting at there. And it's our, our fifth one. Pray with an intent to align with God. Pray with an intent to align with God. James 4.4 4 says, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. It should be our heart to be aligned with God's will, to be walking alongside him. And notice in that, those, those words that we just read in the Lord's Prayer, verses 9 through 13, there's not any questions given. None of these are questions. All of them are statements. All of them have to do with the prayer of the person praying, trying to seek to be in alignment with God's desires, with his kingdom, with his will, with his provision, not, walk, not walking in disobedience. Um, that's the, the emphasis that's being given there. We're either going to be aligned with God or at war with God. And that's what's emphasized in that. This is a model for prayer. When he says, pray in this way, it's, hey, pray like this. We could pray those words exactly, and there's a good reason to do that. We can do that. But also, this is a model that we should just take what it's saying seriously and, and apply it in our own way. Moving on to our, our sixth lesson that Jesus gives. This one's going to come from Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. Over here, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The lesson from this one, our sixth one, Pray for laborers who will work God's harvest. Pray for laborers who will work God's harvest. People in our world are desperate for salvation, for restoration, receiving Jesus and being restored to relationship with him. They're desperate for truth. Where are all the people to share this truth? Where are all the people with the heart and the willingness to step out and be bold and do this? Jesus said, the laborers are few. We need to be actively praying 
that God would supply those laborers. That's us. We know that. But when we're asking him to supply it, it's not just that he would supply people. It's that he would supply the heart and the boldness in his people to get out and do it. That's something we're supposed to be actively praying for regularly. So that's that, that next lesson, lesson number six. Number seven, a little over halfway through on this one. This is going to come from Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. So it says, In the morning, as Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So here's the lesson. I'm going to spend just a little bit breaking this down because this can be taken very wrong in a lot of ways. Lesson number seven, when we pray, we need to do so in genuine faith. When we pray, we need to do so in genuine faith. So let's just break a couple things down here. Try to do this as quick as possible. The fig tree that Jesus curses and it withers. Oftentimes, fig trees were a symbol for Israel, for the people of Israel, often associated with Israel. So when Jesus goes up to it and he looks for fruit on the tree because he's hungry and he finds nothing, no fruit, fruitless fig tree, he curses it. Now remember, if Jesus is hungry, he could have just said, grow figs. He could have just said, do this. I have faith. I want food. I need it. Give me a fig tree, and it would have grown. That's not what he said, because what he's doing is he's trying to give a jarring example of something to the disciples. He's trying to use this fig tree that is representative of Israel, the people who he's been with for a long time now, ministering to, who say they believe in God, who say they follow the things of God, who pray all the time, who know God's word, who are constantly sacrificing and going to synagogue and following all these laws. But Jesus says, there is no faith in Israel. They are fruitless. And because of their fruitlessness, they're going to wither. They're cursed. And his idea is that if you want to see things God work in your life, you need to have genuine faith. You need to have authentic faith. And I want to give you guys a quick example. And, and Breezy, actually, my wife brought this up to me. I thought this was a fantastic way to illustrate this. Super helpful. A lot of you guys probably watch football. I know I, I watch a lot of football. The whole world was really shook up when DeMar Hamlin got injured on that field. And what was everybody saying for weeks? Pray for DeMar Hamlin. People are coming out of the woodwork saying to pray for DeMar. Everyone pray for DeMar. I think some people were authentic, but I know there's a lot of people who are saying pray for DeMar, who are lifting up prayers to a God they don't even believe in, who are saying these things about God 
and hoping that Damar is going to be healed, praying, yeah, we, we hope, we have faith that he's going to be healed. They don't believe in God at all. They don't really care. They don't think that that actually has any power. That's the illustration. That's the difference. When we're people who pray with genuine faith, are we praying actually in faith to God, believing that he really does exist, that he really can move? Are we praying in genuine faith or is this just words in the same way that Israel was? Are we being fruitless people like that fig tree? So that's really the heart of what was getting, you know, talked about there in our seventh lesson. Move on to lesson number eight. This one is going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 23 through 29. And it's important before we jump in, it'll be a little weird if I don't preface this. This is Jesus casting out a demon. That's what's happening here, what we're about to read. It's Jesus casting out a demon. That's what is taking place. So let's go ahead and read this together, verses 25 through 29. It says, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the lesson that we get from this. There are some types of spiritual warfare only defeated by prayer. When it comes to spiritual warfare, there's really three main areas that there's spiritual warfare waging, and and each one's kind of different. You have uh, the world, the flesh, the devil. Those are the three areas where there's warfare taking place at any given moment, and it looks a little different in each place. But what we're being told here is in each of those areas, there's times and places where having will, having power on, you know, taking responsibility to step up and, you know, to resist the enemy, like that's what it's going to take to defeat him. But Jesus is also saying there is certain types of things that happen, certain warfare that will only be defeated by prayer. You can't do it on your own. You don't have the strength to do it on your own. And that's the lesson that Jesus is getting across there. He wants his disciples to understand that, that that should be something they take serious. Move on to number nine. This one's going to be in Mark chapter 11, just verse 25. And this one I find really interesting. It says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. The lesson that's taught to us here is when you pray, be sure to forgive others as you have been forgiven. When you pray, be sure to forgive others as you have been forgiven. Why I think this one's so interesting is because a lot of times when we think about prayer, we just think of it as in speech. But what this is telling us is that your prayer life Because prayer is connection with God, communication with God, your prayer life is just as affected by how much you're speaking. That that is just as important as how you are living, what you are actually doing on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. 
And by forgiving, that is an action that you have to be doing, taking in your own life that affects your prayer. It affects how you engage with God. Prayer or connecting with God goes beyond speaking. It's tied to how we live. And to be honest, if we say that we are saved by grace, we've all, all sinned, we're all sinners, we've received salvation through grace alone, it's nothing that we could have done on our own. If we are saved by grace and we really realize what it was that we were saved from, then if we get that, then we should be willing to be a people of grace. If you're not willing to be a people of grace, then you probably need to look at yourself and ask a couple questions. Is there something wrong with your heart? Or two, do you really understand what it was that you were forgiven from? Because if you're unwilling to forgive others, you might not really grasp what it was that was done for you. So that's why this one is very important. When you pray, be sure to forgive others as you have been forgiven. Number 10. This one is going to come from Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. The, the lesson from this one, directly from the text, number 10, pray for those who abuse you. Not super complicated. Um, that word abuse means to be mistreated. It's mistreatment, being treated poorly, badly. And I think this one's really important. What it shows us is that, again, this is very different than how the world lives. The world would say someone abuses us, mistreats us, someone is our enemy, that they are unkind to us, fight them, knock them down, fight back. Why are, don't, don't let that happen. Go after them. Treat them with the same stuff that they've been treating you with. That's how our world would respond. Now, this isn't saying that we need to just live in it. If we're being mistreated, we should, hey, maybe you should take steps to see what you can do to not be in situations where that can happen. So that is important. But secondly, also, Jesus says we are to pray for those who abuse us, not pray for their demise, not pray that they would be destroyed, but pray that their hearts would change and that they would learn to be different. And honestly, the reason we're doing that is because we don't want that, that heart that they have to be willing to mistreat and what's causing damage. That ultimately is going to lead to their ruin. That's going to destroy their life. And we, don't, we shouldn't want that for them. So that's why Jesus is saying, pray for those who abuse you. Pray for their change. Pray for their good, that they would turn their hearts and be different. That's the idea. Number 11, getting close to, to closing out on these. This one is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. This one says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what this unrighteous judge says. 
And will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The lesson that comes from this one is pray and do not lose heart. This one was the one that honestly struck me the most and is one that I'm like really having to wrestle with. Because when you hear that phrase, pray and do not lose heart, probably what you think about is like, be, be happy, be encouraged. It's not actually what this is about. It's about justice. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the parable is about. This widow that's being talked about, she is helpless. And she is supposed to be a picture of how the church feels a lot, how we feel a lot. Helpless, unable to do anything, seeing injustice, un- injustice being done to us. And it says that this widow is asking for justice to be done. And eventually she receives it. And then what Jesus says is, doesn't God care way more than any unrighteous, corrupt judge on earth would ever care? He cares a lot. And the the lesson that Jesus is getting at is that when we pray, pray for justice, we should care about justice. But also when we pray, pray in expectation that God is just. Don't lose heart as you look around in this world. I know I'm constantly confronted with things, and I am always asking the question, God, why? Why do you let that happen? Why won't you intervene? Why why is this happening? Why is this government able to do what it's doing? Why are these people being treated this way? Why? I don't understand. That's me losing heart, if I'm being honest with you. If we believe that God is just, And what we're being told right here is when you pray, pray for justice and do not lose heart. Believe God is in fact a just God. And when he does come, is he going to find a people who really does believe that justice is coming or is there going to be no faith on earth? That's the lesson that's given in that. So lesson number 11, pray and do not lose heart. Number 12, this is Luke 18 verses 10 through 14, just a little bit further down. It says, This is another parable. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Lesson uh, 12, pray from a place of humility before God. This one's pretty easy to understand. Don't don't have to really give a lot there. Um, I was reminded of the verse, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Again, we are all sinners saved by grace. We should not be a people who view ourselves in this high and mighty way where we think that we're so much better than others, but we should have grace, but also be willing to pray for those around us to rise up to walk with God and not get on a high horse, like what's illustrated here. So finally, our final one, number 13. This is Luke 21, verses 34 through 36. And this is a really good way to end. 
says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The lesson that we get from this is to pray for strength to live a life of service to God, waiting for his return. Pray for strength to live a life of service to God, waiting for his return. We're supposed to pray for God's wisdom and for his, his strength that we would not only pursue him, but that we wouldn't become distracted by the things of the world, all of the cares of the world, all the the things that the world has to offer us, but that we would not lose sight of what's actually important and that we would also not fall into disobedience. We're to pray for strength for that so that when Jesus returns or we die and go be with him, that we are ready for that moment, that we've been honoring him and walking in pursuit of him. That's that lesson. I think that's such a, a beautiful one to be ending on because that is the reminder that we need to have. I think what we see by glancing at these 13 things is that prayer involves a lot. And again, I I shared at the beginning of this, some of these things might not seem like, wow, this is super deep or crazy eye-opening. The depth of this is going to come when you take this on your own and you examine this list for yourself as you leave here today, as you start to discuss this with those around you and you start to say, what do these mean? It is interesting. Look what wasn't mentioned. Look what I pray for all the time. And that's not even listed in the things that Jesus says is important. the, The deeper understanding is as we start to pick apart what the emphasis is on in these things, where we're going to real realize that prayer is so deep and so, so important that connecting and communicating with God is more than just talking. And it's not just these flippant breakfast, lunch, dinner, before we go to bed kind of conversations. That prayer is this constant thing that should be marking our life all the time. I know personally, for me, one of the things that was really like jolting and like struck me is that five out of of these 13 things specifically have to do with how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. But they're also tied to prayer. So it's really jarring and jolting because it made me realize My prayer life and how I engage with God is not just in my speech. It's every single moment. And how I pray and when I pray is affected by how I live every moment. And realizing that Jesus emphasizes that in those lessons was really interesting, that prayer has so much to do with our heart posture and that day-to-day living more than it does just the words that we say. All the rest of those things um, are prayers that were specific, but I thought for a lot of them, they're not things that we might expect. So if we take these lessons, if you guys take these things, these 13 things that we went through, take those lessons and allow them to start to work on your heart. That's my prayer. I didn't come into this week expecting for this moment necessarily to somehow cause a a crazy shift. I came into this week praying and believing that what God was going to do in revealing these things to us is that he would begin to do a deeper work in each of us individually as we go out from here, as we meet with groups, as we meet with our close friends, as we talk about his word, as we spend time studying on any of these that jumped out at us 
a little bit deeper and look into them for ourselves. That's where the depth is really going to come from in this. And I know for me, it has really come from that. That's where it's really taken effect and root in my heart. So that's my prayer for us this week. Um, I just hope that we will go from being a people who just sometimes pray to being a people that would be called a people of prayer, who genuinely are doing it all the time. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.